you never knew. That was his power. Was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty, tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a 10. The boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Jared Mintz, and you are listening to episode 130, being recorded on Thursday, February 15th. The NBA had a wild trade deadline last week, and with All-Star Weekend literally hours away from tipping off, there's only one team that it truly makes sense to talk about today. No, we're not going to discuss the Cleveland Cavaliers, rather the team that worked with them to fix their problems slash potentially lure their franchise's greatest player to them in free agency this summer, the Los Angeles Lakers. Joining me to discuss one of the NBA's most prominent franchises is Jacob Rude. By day, Jacob writes for LakersOutsiders.com. He also used to be my editor at Fansided's Busting Brackets. Jacob, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, It was a day off today. I got a bit of a relaxing day, and then the Lakers aren't hot garbage like they've been in past seasons, so it's fun to watch NBA basketball again. It's going great. Man, I wish I knew what it was like for my team to not be hot garbage (laughs) and to be able to enjoy watching NBA basketball games, but uh, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Jarrett Jack, Ennis Cantor, Michael Beasley lineups, that's really enjoyable. Um, You have to enjoy the the petty tweets after each game by Cantor, I'm sure. I don't enjoy anything that Ennis Cantor does. (laughs) Um, Full disclosure, I like him a lot more than I was anticipating liking him, but that's not setting the bar very high. Uh, You know, he is what, to quote Denny Green, he is what you think he is, and the 17-17 and 20-20 nights sure do distract people, but uh, yeah, I, let's not do this, Jacob, let's talk Lakers. (laughs) Before we do that, though, I like to do uh, rapid-fire icebreaker questions with my guests, kind of get my listenership a little bit more familiar with the people that we bring on the podcast. Before we started recording, you told me you were down to do this. Jacob, you still up for these rapid-fire questions? Bring them on. All right. Our first question, as I mentioned, you used to edit me at Busting Brackets, awesome college basketball stuff at Fansided. Jacob, who's your least favorite college basketball player of all time? Oh, wow. Um, Probably have to go. The first name that popped in my head was Tyler Hansbrough. I am a Duke fan, and man, did I hate him, mainly because he just beat us so much. He was 4-0 in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, God, did I hate him growing up watching him play the play for UNC, and then watching him get a national title to cap it off. No, yeah, he's far and away number one. That's awesome. I don't necessarily disagree. Who's your least favorite Dukey of all time? Because I'm too. I'm a Duke fan, and while I love most of the guys that run through the program, there have probably been a handful of guys who I'm kind of like, I cannot wait for this guy to be gone. Least favorite would be hard. I'm not a big. I'm not big on like hating players who played for the team. I most frustrating maybe was Austin Rivers because he came in with so much hype and then essentially did nothing except for well, except for like the biggest shot in the Duke UNC rivalry <laughs> ever. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, he was incredibly frustrating. I might go with him. It's not a bad answer. Recently, I really just could not stand Chase Jeter because he was another guy. He wasn't quite Austin Rivers hype, but he had hype. He was a top 10 player, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, just didn't find him to be particularly good at basketball, let alone being a big basketball player. I wasn't crazy about J.J. Redick when he was at Duke, and I mean, I know he was an easy guy for non-Duke fans to hate, 
I just could not get around to him as a bomber. I just not not a big JJ guy in in college NBA. I love JJ. I'm totally on the other end there. JJ's pro. Him and Jay Williams are probably my two favorite Dukies of all time. Man, I love Jay Williams too. All right, let's not do the Duke love fest. People will probably turn me off if they hear <laughs> that more. Question number two. Let's keep the negativity flowing. Who's the worst television show character in the history of TV? Oh my. Um. There's a couple that popped to mind. I'm a big Friday Night Lights fan. I don't know if you watched it. Dude, I watched and, the fir- the pilot episode twice and never made it beyond that. I'm the worst. I, I don't know how you watch that episode and don't get somewhat hooked, but I'm blanking on her name right now. I'm trying to pull it up. It's the coach's daughter. Um, she was... Oh, she was awful. The coach and his wife were both... Um, were both great and... I, their daughter was just insufferable. She just, she was annoying as a character. She never listened to him. Julie Taylor, that was her name. Uh, she, to me, the worst character in, in TV. She, just a frustrating character who never really had much of a purpose, it felt like, other than to just annoy the the viewer. So that means she probably did a good job portraying that character. I was just having this conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. I was just having this conversation today. I don't know if you watched The Good Place. I was very surprised to like The Good Place because I didn't think I'd like Kristen Bell because I can't stand her in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And my buddy was like, "Dude, that just means she did a really good job playing the character. It's playing Sarah Marshall." Yeah, and I try to differentiate that sometimes when there's characters I really hate, where I think like. You know, that person did a good job of making me hate them. I can't get around to that with Julie Taylor. I just, I never liked her. And to a certain extent, she was a decent actor, but I could never get across that bridge. You know, she played the character well. It was just like, God, why are you still (laughs) making mistakes like this? Or why are you still doing this? Yeah, I'm going to have to give it another shot. My wife actually suggested that we watch it the other day, which was wild because... For years, I was like, come on, we have to get into the show. Everybody says this is a great show. Everybody says Coach Taylor is one of the best TV show characters of all time. It's in the cards. It's in the cards. just hasn't happened yet. Question number three, choose one of these to answer. Who is the worst person on Twitter or who is the best person on Twitter? You don't have to do both. Uh, Well, I'll say the best account on Twitter is Drill. I love love anytime anything kind of halfway controversial happens and you can just go find a drill tweet to uh to compare to it um he would be probably my favorite account i will say maybe my favorite nba twitter account i don't know how many people follow him he's a he's a laker fan uh his name's damon rangula yeah who he's a nba big nba fan uh he's one of the funniest guys i've met he's one of the funniest tweeters uh he and i share a love for pal gasol um, that that bonded us on Twitter. So yeah, I would say other than Drill, Domin's one of my favorite Twitter accounts. Now is that because Pau should have been the 2010 NBA Finals MVP? Oh. Or all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jake, question number four: If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? I actually was discussing this question with some friends of mine the other uh, about a week ago. My, I have a, a return question for this. Can it be like different types of the same food? 
could I like pick one food and like you can prepare it different ways or am I getting too technical? Oh, man, I mean, I don't want to make this difficult on you, but I, like it's got to be like either chicken wing, like you can't do pasta and then eat, you know, spaghetti one day and penne the next day and rigatoni. It's got to be prepared one way. Okay, because I was going to say chicken because you can just prepare that a bunch of different ways, but that seems like that one's not fair. I would probably go... I might. I mean, you just said I might go chicken wings. Mm. I, I'm not. I wouldn't live very long if I'm eating just chicken wings. But man, <laughs> do I love them! I had some today. Uh, I, I, yeah, barbecue chicken wings, boneless. I'm not. I'm a bone boneless, not bone in guy. Oh man! All right, that's cool, man. Hey, different strokes for different folks. They're enjoyable, and I think the fact that you said barbecue instead of like hot boneless that that also gives you another out there so i i will not get on you for boneless do you like bone in at all or are you just kind of like boneless are better so i stick with that i no i like bone in i'll eat them it's just i prefer boneless understandable all right our last question before we get into the los angeles lakers lakers or los angeles hosting the nba all-star weekend what is your favorite nba all-star game memory uh the game itself or the weekend and either or does not have to be just the game then it's vince carter's dunk contest uh i remember watching that and just being mesmerized by like every time he came up and just he did so many dunks that we hadn't seen before and just so many moments that still today like stick out as iconic nba moments uh i remember watching that and in the basement with a bunch of friends. I can't even remember. It was like 01, so about a, I was probably in middle school with a bunch of friends watching it uh, and just going crazy every new dunk he had. Uh, that That is the one that's always stuck out to me. I can never like read enough articles about that that dunk contest or watch, it, watch too many movies. Like It's always so much fun to read about that. Yeah, definitely one of the all-time greats, and obviously Vince stole the show. I mean, the greatest the greatest dunk contest performance we've ever seen, or at least in the last, you know, 20 to 25 years or so, maybe we don't get into the 80s with, with Jordan and Neek. I still think Vince takes the cake, but dude, that whole dunk contest, I mean, mm-hmm. T-Mac was incredible. Steve Francis was incredible. I think Larry Hughes was in it too. I think he had a really good dunk also. I mean, that was just, that was a really solid dunk contest. T-Mac was awesome in that, and he gets like way, I mean, everybody basically remembers him as giving the pass to Vince Carter for his under-the-leg dunk, but he was incredible. That that might be the best dunk contest ever. That, I mean, again, you're getting back into the 80s with Neek and Jordan, but that's way up there on the list. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you. It's funny, I don't, I typically am not a prisoner of the moment. In real time, I do remember, I mean, it's not like it's that long ago, the, the Aaron Gordon-Zach Levine mm-hmm. dunk contest, and just the way the two of them pulled off so many ridiculous dunks, I'm still kind of amazed that Aaron Gordon didn't win. I mean, that's not to take anything away from Zach Levine, just, dude, those mascot dunks were all-time great, I thought. Yeah, and I think there's, the the thing that made that one great is they were pulling off a lot of those dunks, like, the first time they tried, and, like, you, because it kind of loses the luster a bit when they try it and miss, because you're, like, the wow factor, the surprise factor's kind of gone the second time, not to say that the dunks weren't any incredible, but, like, they were going up there and doing some crazy dunk, and then the very next like, Levine would go up there and just pull off something insane, and Aaron Gordon would go right back at him, and just kind of the back and forth of it. That that certainly was one of the uh, 
one of the top ones as well. Yeah, that's definitely the difference is them making the dunks. Dude, Nate Robinson missing 35 dunks in a row has to be, <laughs> like, that almost single-handedly killed the dunk contest, which is the most enjoyable, fluffiest, least confrontational thing that basketball has going for it. And we were like, no, we should get rid of this because guys just can't make dunks. It was it, it Was it Birdman that did it from, like, he had tried some lob from half court that he tried, like, 15 times? <laughs> yeah, I think it was Birdman. And it's just like, dude, just do a, do a two-handed dunk. Just jump, j- jump off two feet, two-handed dunk, we'll settle for that. Like, you're, you're holding your breath waiting for them to make a dunk, and it just doesn't feel like that's what the dunk contest should be. Yeah, just there's times where I'm just like, just take the L, just just lay it up there and just get it over with, move on. A layup, that would be outstanding. All right, <laughs> All-Star Weekend is on the prowl. I'm really not even following too closely. I don't think I could tell you who's in either the dunk contest or the three-point contest. I mean, I'll watch it, I'll enjoy it, I'm looking forward to it. Anything specific that you're looking forward to this weekend? Well, it was the dunk contest until Larry Nance got traded. Um <laughs> It still probably is a dunk contest. Uh, that's always my favorite thing to watch. Um, I do occasionally like the Celebrity All-Star Game, but they didn't really get anybody this year. Um, a lot of so the same yeah. guys. I, I am excited, though, to see uh, Quavo. I feel like he might be a baller. Yeah, there's a couple guys who they, they bring back. and I don't know. I know they added Justin Bieber today, but like that's not really my demographic, so I'm not I'm not really too thrilled about that. But to me, the dunk contest has always been fun. I know there was a stretch where everybody was like, "Oh, the the dunk contest is dead. Just get over with it." And I I've always loved watching the dunk contest. Um, so yeah, to me, that's always pretty high on the list. And then I mean, we all. Laker fans still love Larry Nance and have wanted him in the dunk contest forever. Injuries kept him out. So I'm excited to see what he does. You can almost guarantee that he's going to do a dunk in his father's jersey, which I'm really excited to see. So uh, the dunk contest is number one for me. For sure, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm i actually looking forward to the game a little bit itself. I don't know that there's going to be any level of pride, especially with all the injuries that kind of took away from this game. But just the idea that they're switching it up, I, I'm kind of into that. Uh, again, you know, I do think it got watered down badly by so many guys being taken off of LeBron's team from injuries. I just, LeBron's playing a different level of basketball right now, and we've seen him turn it on in all-star games every now and then if it's close in the fourth quarter. I'm kind of hoping we get to see that this year too. And I'm looking forward to guys, you know, going against each other from different teams. Like, I'm looking forward to KD going at Steph Curry a little bit. I That's the other thing, like, to me, the NBA All-Star game itself is the most enjoyable out of all the sports. Maybe baseball, but uh, I know a lot of people complain, like, oh, they're always high-scoring and there's no defense played. I enjoy that. I enjoy watching the guys just throw crazy alley-oops, like having Giannis catch an alley-oop from Steph or something. Like, that's not something we're going to see any other time. Like, give give me all of those that we can and stuff like that. So I love watching the All-Star game itself. Um, I love the new format of there not being, like, East and West teams mix things up a bit. I'm still annoyed that they didn't televise the draft, and I'm still – I don't understand why they needed to do it two and a half weeks ago for, and then half of LeBron's team gets injured. Like, get, have the draft, like, tonight on TNT, like, halftime of one of these games, and then televise it, let Chuck and Shaq make fun of them, and then go into All-Star Weekend with those teams. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think I heard uh, Zach Lowe and Howard Beck kind of talking about something similar, and it's just like, yeah, this was a no-brainer, but we knew this was a no-brainer from the get-go. 
I'm not going to get too upset over the the lack of televising the draft. It just it makes you wonder if like it really happened, if that's how it all played out. I just I don't care enough. I do get excited for that game though, and I do get excited for the Rising Stars game. That's always something I'm looking forward to. I agree with what you said about like no defense, so what? I want to see these guys play their best offense, and I want to see some of these rookies who don't get to play with other good players finally get to play with other talented guys and see what they could all do. I mean, I really enjoyed watching Chris Stapps in the Rising Stars game. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if Frank Nielakina can get more playing time in that than he does with Jeff Wernesek, but uh, <laughs> I digress once again. Let's not make this about me. Let's instead make this about you, because the Lakers have been one of the more interesting teams in the league this season. I don't know what expectations were for them based on how they, you know, were put together in the offseason and how they've played so far, but they've gone through stretches of being really good and stretches of being not so good. You know, they've had their fair share of injuries. They were in the news last week for trading some of their younger guys and making some cap room, also taking on Isaiah Thomas. How has this season played out so far based on your expectations heading into the season? I think in a general sense, um, they've exceeded expectations. Uh, But as you kind of said, it's been a weird year. Um, They had a stretch. They started off well like they did last season, but last season they started well and then had injuries and just went, like, straight down the tank. Uh, This year they started well, um, but they never really had that period where they went straight down the tank until, I mean, we had a brutal December schedule. Um, They had a stretch where they lost nine straight. It was looking pretty grim. Uh, Laker fans were a little upset. That was around the time LeVar was calling out Luke Walton and, Things seemed pretty grim, and then they went went twelve and four um, over a sixteen game stretch. They had they beat OKC, they beat Boston, um, which is always always big for Laker for the Lakers. They beat the Spurs. I mean, they beat a bunch of these really good teams, and that totally. I mean, to me, that totally changed the way I've looked at the season. Um, but I mean, overall, they're only ten games under five hundred. Um, they're playing right now, but I mean, at best, they'll go into the All Star break nine games under five hundred. But I mean, they're on about a thirty. I haven't looked. It was a right around a thirty-two, thirty-three win pace. Um, I pegged them before the year to have less than thirty wins. So just from that sense alone, that's a huge improvement. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of the young guys step up, and it's it's nice to see because that rebuild felt like it was taking forever and we weren't seeing a lot of um kind of the positives from it and this season everything's really started to click and we've seen a lot of really good basketball that's really encouraging sure yeah definitely have i mean that that nine game win streak i don't think anybody could have anticipated but as you mentioned you know there's been ups there's been downs a lot of young players on this team they're a rebuilding team they're supposed to have their ups and downs with regards to the rebuild, what are some of the more encouraging things that you know, you've know you seen? What are some of the more discouraging things? Brandon Ingram, obviously, is having a very nice season. He's up over 16 points a game, shooting 46-39 from the field in three. I mean, his development has to be one of the better things. What have been some of the, the highlights for you this year? Uh, I think Ingram's probably number one at this point, um, which you mentioned. He's had... An incredible year that's kind of went under the radar a little bit. Um, I know Lonzo kind of took a lot of the headlines, but uh, I actually looked it up a while ago. As you said, he's averaging 16, 5, and 3 and shooting 38% from the field. 
nobody 20 years or younger has ever done that before um, for a full season. Now, obviously, we're only halfway there, but still, that gives you kind of a sense of how big of a jump he's made this year. I think the other huge positive for the Lakers has been Julius Randle. Um, I know we'll talk a little bit more about him, but um, coming into the season, the 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 kind of storyline around him was um, how soon he would be traded, uh, and he struggled early in the year. He he, would, he didn't start. He was coming off the bench. He was frustrated, um, and then there was just kind of I I don't think there was really a moment or a game specifically, but things just kind of switched, and he just kind of flipped a switch and just decided like I'm I'm just going to play through it. And he's been an absolute monster this year. It, it, it's a contract year, um, so it's not necessarily a surprise. But he spent the whole summer um, getting doing the whole getting in the best shape of his life cliche. But it showed. Um, he has his best defensive rating of his career, I believe. Um, and he's been a huge reason as to why the Lakers have went on this kind of stretch that I talked about, that 12 of 16 games that they won because um, defensively he's just taken huge leaps forward and every as a team I mean maybe that might be the other big positive as a team they're uh, an above average defensive team which is crazy to think about considering they were I believe dead last last year um, they're 12th in defense and just that huge leap they've made has been really encouraging um, I guess the discouraging thing would probably be at times, the, the front office, to be honest. Um, a lot of fans aren't crazy about this whole two-max free agent thing. Uh, I know a lot of fans are really upset about trading Russell over the summer. Um, and just the way they've doubled down at times or changed their mind and kind of back and forth on this plan. Um, and various reports that Magic might not be taking the job as seriously as he should. Uh, There's a report, I mean, you can relate to this, there's a report, a report from the Levitard show that he was treating the job the way Phil Jackson did, which is not something <laughs> that you want to hear. Nope, uh, nope, nope, yeah. nope. So I think that might really be the most discouraging thing, but it seems like, um, I mean, there was a point in the year where the, they had to have a team meeting to discuss, I can't remember the exact words, like business matters or something, like the front office is so openly parading around that they were going to trade Clarkson and Randall that they had to have a team meeting to kind of air everything out and get everything sorted. And that was right before they went on that streak that I mentioned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the just the young kids as a whole growing has been the big positive and the front office kind of them doing that in spite of the front office has been the kind of the discouraging part. Sure, yeah, I mean, organizational dysfunction uh, definitely is one of those things you do not want to see. And it's interesting because, I mean, some moves that, that Magic and Palinka have made have looked brilliant, and some of them you're sitting there laughing. And, I mean, last week when they, they pull off the trade with the Cavs, you're sitting there thinking, oh, wow, did they just fleece the Cavs right now? Like, they got back a first, they're taking back Isaiah's expiring, they get out of the Jordan Clarkson contract, which I don't know how you felt. Did that Did that trade feel like a win? Oh, absolutely, and I, I was bigger or higher on Clarkson than most, um, but I do think he has a replicable skill set. Sure. I think Josh Hart could kind of emerge as someone that could replace him in the rotation and has. Um, and I, I'll, I mean, to be honest, I thought 
for the most part, we'd have to attach something to get rid of Clarkson, like a first-round pick maybe or something like that. I guess in a sense we did with Larry Nance, but right. the fact we got a first-round pick and got expirings back, uh, that was a huge win. Everybody in in the and kind of the Laker fandom was really excited about that. Sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you brought up D'Angelo Russell because I didn't even have him on my rundown in my thought process when thinking, let's talk about the Lakers. Let's go back to that trade, which, you know, obviously you guys get back Kyle Kuzma in the trade. It takes Mozgov off the books. It, it winds up not looking that bad for them. Obviously, they wanted to draft Lonzo. They didn't feel like they had enough room for, for everybody and I just felt like they gave up on D'Angelo a little early. What were your thoughts on the trade at the time, and kind of how do you feel about it, you know, right now, with watching what he's doing in Brooklyn and looking at what the Lakers are doing without him? Uh, it was frustrating at the time, and it's only gotten more frustrating the more he's kind of balled out in Brooklyn. Um, I mean, for what it's worth, it doesn't... I mean, the more... The further we've gotten away from it, the further it sounds like everybody in the kind of the team had given up on him and they moved him for whatever they could. Uh, there was a, a video that leaked Brian. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think the Lakers, NBA TV was at like the Lakers practice. Brian Shaw was mic'd up and he's, he said something to the effect of like, these guys are in the gym shooting unlike D'Angelo ever was. And it was, it wasn't something that was supposed to be, uh, broadcast, but it was kind of one of those things you could hear him talking while the or the commentators were talking and stuff like that, and that's just the kind of the message that had been sent out um, from the Lakers uh, from the moment he was traded. It was frustrating to at the beginning of the year, D'Angelo was just going off, and the Lakers were struggling, and it was really frustrating to watch. Um, D'Angelo got hurt, which has been a problem. Um, and the Lakers started playing well, so it kind of changed the narrative a bit. Um, I think my biggest complaint about that was that they didn't need to do it when they did. Um, they didn't need to get rid of Mozgov's contract then because we, you could do it a, a, uh, the next summer. Maybe they didn't think they'd have that opportunity. I'm still frustrated about it. Um, I don't know. I'm willing to withhold judgment a little bit based on how this summer goes, if we do land somebody with the kind of the cap room we created. But even then, the, the, the thing I've always said is even if the result ends up with us having two max free agents, the process was still terrible in how we got there. So it was frustrating at the time. It'd be, I mean, Lonzo and D'Angelo were such a perfect complementary backcourt offensively that we were all so excited to see them play with one another and then, like, days before it was just kind of ripped out from under us right yeah again it just it didn't it didn't smell good at the time I mean you get through two years with the guy and he showed signs of being a player he was also incredibly young and we knew it was going to take a lot to develop him mold him into you know whether he was going to ultimately be a two or a combo I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole guards with skill sets like his I mean he's a lead guard and you know if you're rebuilding why you would give up on a player like that for a chance at cap room in the future it just it didn't smell right to me, but at the same time, I mean, the team's moved on pretty well without him. I think Lonzo's look pretty good as a rookie. I mean, I know he's scrutinized for everything good he does, everything bad he does. The shooting numbers aren't very pretty, but I think he's done a lot to impact the game, really, on both ends. Obviously, Kyle Kuzma's probably been the most surprising rookie this season in terms of how productive he is. He's just 
ready to score. I mean, we saw it in Summer League. It looked like they got a steal then, and he's only looked better in the regular season. And Josh Hart's a rotation player, too. Talk to me about this rookie class that the Lakers have. Do you feel comfortable with these guys kind of being, you know, a part of the core for this rebuild? I think these guys are very much the core of the rebuild, and I am very excited about it. Um, I think this draft class kind of has the potential to reshape the future of how, or I guess how the Lakers go forward, because they got three legit, I think Kuzma and Lonzo are legit starters, and like you said, Hart absolutely is a rotational guy. He's been starting with Lonzo out, and one of their better lineups um, with or uh, on the season has been the, the lineup with him starting um, in Lonzo's absence, and that was the lineup that the Lakers used when they went on that stretch. Having Hart uh, in the starting lineup, he's looked like a stud. Um, Hart and Kuzma both. The fact that we got them with the 27th and 30th picks is a testament to our scouting department, which through like kind of all the turnover in the front office, all the the craziness that has went on in the front office, the scouting department um, has been just they've nailed every pick for the last probably three years going back to the D'Angelo draft really even further than that they got Clarkson as a late second rounder they bought the pick so really since 2015 they've nailed every pick um and they did it again this year that that's kind of another reason why fans were excited with the Cleveland trade because it got a first round pick um which is going to be right in the range that we got Kuzma and Hart so it kind of gives the scouting department another chance to find one of those hidden gems so um yeah, Hart and Kuzma and Lonzo, they I think they're going to be kind of be the cornerstones with Ingram of this rebuild um, and kind of this next generation of, of the Lakers. And um, the fact that the Lakers have all of those guys on cheap contracts is kind of what makes this idea of maybe landing two free agents possible because they have the flexibility and these guys have already kind of outperformed their contracts. So... Uh, we're, I'm thrilled personally with how this that young core has looked in their first year. I mean, they, they've made leaps and bounds improvements even since the beginning of the year. I think they're going to be huge impact players. Yeah, it's kind of amazing the way they've nailed their draft picks. I mean, even to the point that, you know, we're not seeing, uh, we're not seeing Zubac play at all, who I thought was a player. I'm kind of surprised that he can't even crack the rotation at all. I mean, I know that there's just so many guys on this team that need to play. I'm interested in seeing if Thomas Bryant can be a player at all. So they, they've drafted well. They've wound up, you know, relatively lucky being able to keep their picks and not falling out of, you know, the top five the last couple of years. We're talking about their rookies. I want to hear you talk more about Lonzo, who I just haven't gotten to watch enough this year. Was really high on him coming into the draft. Loved watching him in college last year. Uh, again, you know, the shooting has kind of been surprising to me that he hasn't been able to shoot better. At the same time, he's still shooting over 35. Oh, I'm sorry. He's shooting 35 from the floor, not from three. So yeah, I stand by that. The shooting's been real bad. It's ugly. Again, though, I don't get to watch him enough. Tell me what some of the encouraging things that you're seeing out of him are. Uh, I think the most encouraging thing and, and the most surprising thing is how great he is defensively. Um, defensive rating wise, he's the he has the high or the best defensive rating on the Lakers for rotational players. Um, and he's been a really big key. As I mentioned earlier, the Lakers 
they were top 10 for most of the year. I think they're about 12th, somewhere around there now. Um, and he's been a huge reason as to why the Lakers have been so good defensively. He's been really, really good on the defensive end, um, which is, I, it doesn't get the same kind of uh, publicity as his shooting does. Obviously, him going 3 of 15 or whatever is going to get the headlines, but, I mean, for fans that watch the game, um, it was a little easier to stomach because he was so good defensively that he was kind of making up for it on that end. Um, and he started to come around with his shooting uh, toward the kind of the end of last year, end of this year. He was starting to shoot a lot better from three. Um, from December on, I want to say he was like a 30, about a 35% three-point shooter, um, which was a huge jump considering how he started the year. Uh, and it was really just a confidence issue. It started to go bad, and then it just kind of snowballed, um, which is why I think in some ways, the with him being out, how well the Lakers played, it, it's taken. it should take a lot of pressure off him. Um, because he came in and man, from the get go, he was he was anointed by magic, which is uh, there probably isn't a bigger kind of figure in L.A. to be anointed by. He, I, I, it still sticks out his press conference to welcome him. They're sitting down and Magic looks at him and says, "Save some records for me." And I'm thinking, "Holy cow! How are you telling this to a 19 year old who hasn't played a game? Like, let's relax, guys." Um, so yeah, I think some of that pressure got to him a little bit at the beginning of the year, um, and and he struggled, but he was starting to come around really well, um, and. He was a part at the very beginning of that that stretch in January. He was a part of that uh, before he went down. They won four straight with him, um, and then he went down with the sprained MCL. He's been out since. He'll be he should be back after the All Star break. Um, they're holding him out of the Rising Stars game, um, but the way they kind of talked about it, I think he probably could have played in it, but uh, they just it was like a precautionary measure, but. Uh, I think overall he's been a positive. If nothing else, statistically it doesn't look great, but he's changed the way the Lakers play. Um, and he, just kind of that up-tempo offense, um, he's vital to it. Um, and, I mean, we saw how bad the Lakers looked when they lost. When they had that losing streak of nine straight, he wasn't in there for six of those games, and they looked awful. Um, granted, Tyler Ennis was the backup point guard, and he might be the worst guard in the league. And He's no so, Alex Caruso, I'll say that much. Yeah, oh, we were begging to play Alex Caruso <laughs> over, over Tyler Ennis. Uh, but yeah, and so maybe that kind of affected how we saw the team, but I, I've been encouraged... Um, by him, I know that, like I said, the, the shooting numbers have improved. They still are ugly, but his kind of general impact on the team, um, really just how they play when he's in there, um, is noticeable, and uh, it, it's been vital to the Lakers' turnaround. And I think he's never going to be somebody that's going to put up 20, 25 a game probably, but he's someone that can get you – you know, 15, 9, and 7, or stuff like that. And he's the perfect guy 
Uh, I mean, I, I keep circling back to it, but it's what our front office has been preaching for a year. He's a perfect kind of point guard to play next to a LeBron or a Paul George or a, a superstar, a Jimmy Butler, whoever they want to bring in. Um, so it, there's reason to believe that the Lakers can be successful with him, and I think he's, he's going to be vital to their future. Yeah, I mean, he's a catalyst, and that's really what you want from a lead guard, you know, especially one who can knock down threes. We haven't seen it this year, but coming to coming into the league, he was, I don't want to say totally unfairly, but he was compared to Steph a little bit, just because he was a high-volume three-point taker and a high-volume three-point maker, and yeah, the, the jumper doesn't look pretty, but I think he's going to be able to, <laughs> hot take, I think he's going to be able to improve on his 30% from three over the next <laughs> few years. And especially, I really hope so. Especially if he's able to play with guys who can kind of take, you know, the focus of the defense off of them and get him some more open looks, I just... I don't see how, how his ceiling isn't very high, even in a rookie class with so many other good players. I'm high on Lonzo. I, I'm glad he's looked as good as he has. I think one of the interesting things you brought up, though, was you know the hype around Lonzo, and we were able to kind of do that without mentioning the other L word here, which we obviously have to get to. We don't have to talk about him very long, but I can't do a Lakers podcast without bringing up LeVar, who, you know, Magic set these expectations for Lonzo and... Lonzo being as good as he was set these expectations for Lonzo, but it feels like every third word you hear mentioned about Lonzo is LeVar, and whether that's just setting expectations high or meaning he's a a high-maintenance guy for the front office, for the team, LeVar is a detractor from Lonzo, it seems. Have you gotten that feeling as a Lakers fan? Do you think that this kind of gets blown out of coverage to national media and it's really not a big deal? I mean, him calling out Luke Walton, I don't know what it really means, but the fact that it gets you know, page clicks and that it, that it's something that we're talking about can't be good. Is is it, I don't like using this term, is the LeVar stuff fake news, does it matter, or is it kind of like, when is this going to stop? Uh, it's really hard to, to kind of, I don't, like you said, I don't like the term fake news, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it is blown a bit out of proportion, because a, a lot of the stuff he says, just, they're, kind of baseless i mean i was really kind of frustrated about how um the whole thing with him calling out luke Luke walton was handled because he said that while he was in lithuania right and there was no like I, i believe it was jeff goodman who said it and it my thought was like this is just baseless why can't you just call up ramona or call up wojnarowski and say like hey do you have a an insider who might have anything to say about whether the Luke is losing the locker room, which he, I mean, that came right before they won 12 of 16 or whatever. So clearly he wasn't losing the locker room, but um, it got to a point. I mean, the Lakers front office is for the majority of the year was basically, we're not going to acknowledge LeVar um, in any comments he made, but it got to a point with that story that, um, Genie Bus, Magic, both had to tweet basically their support of Luke, <laughs> which is as close to a, a, a PR statement as you're going to get in 2018, I think. But um, and Palinka went on the it's Spectrum Sportsnet, the the TV station that covers the Lakers in LA. He went on there and did kind of a sit down interview. That covered a lot of things, but the first thing they talked about was Luke Walton, so it was kind of a response to that. But it, it's interesting 
there was actually an article that came out today from Ramona talking about LeVar, um, kind of how they've asked him a couple times to to basically shut up and quit talking, and um, they were playing really nice with him at the beginning and kind of letting him do what he wanted and say what he wanted, and then the more he's kind of done it, the more they've thought, well, we can't do this anymore. Um, and they've a little bit started to distance themselves from LeVar, which is interesting. I think he's always going to be – I don't really buy the, the take that he's going to detract free agents from signing in L.A., um, but he is always just kind of going to be there. He's, in a way, kind of that annoying gnat that just won't go away. Like, we – we don't really put a whole lot of stock into what he says, but as long as people keep putting microphones in front of his face, he's going to keep talking. Right. Um, don't feed the don't feed the animals. The animals are going to eat as long as you feed them. Exactly, and that's how I've, I I I would beg anybody to just stop putting a microphone in front of his face. Stop inviting him onto the TV shows, and he's not a distraction anymore. But it gets clicks, it gets viewers. Um, I mean, there was some interesting stuff about in that article about. Their Facebook series has, like, the most watched episode has, like, 21 million views on Facebook, wow. which is staggering to me. Um, so I don't think he's going to go away anytime soon. Um, so it's one of those things that we're just going to have to get used to and uh, and whatnot. But I don't really think it his word really holds too much weight. Um, and, I mean, we've seen it. It, he Luke was losing the locker room supposedly and they went on their best stretch of the year so that kind of gave everyone an idea that maybe this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about and uh, a lot less coverage has been there about him maybe it's because they're winning but um, it seems things have dimmed down a little bit around him but I really don't think he his word really carries too much weight around the Lakers and around the how the fans view Lonzo or anything at least within the kind of the Lakers fandom over under one more ball on the Lakers over the next few years. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can't say no. You can't say under. Oh man. I well, I really don't know. I I don't think Lonzo's good enough to to pull a Goran Dragic and get his brother on the team, Zoran or whatever it was. But right. uh, maybe he eventually gets to that level. I don't know. It's cert- It's it's only going to be Lamelo because Leangelo's not a good player um i don't know i i mean that was the other thing he came out and said that lonzo's not going to resign with the <laughs> lakers in three years like right. that's not possible why are you printing this you should there's like there's no way that can happen um yeah yeah i would say probably under but lord knows at this point hey uh, we keep doing the parallel universe thing the knicks signed chris smith a few years ago who at least oh, had a yeah. at least had a decent kind of college basketball career, but I, I was pretty uh, furious about that. But um, all right, thanks for entertaining the Lavar stuff. Moving <laughs> moving on to other circusy things with the Lakers with the NBA. I mean, I think the first round draft pick is probably the big win in the trade they made last week with the Cavs. At the same time, I mean, they bring back Isaiah Thomas, who, if nothing else, is an expiring contract. Uh, you guys don't really have a reason to tank this year. You don't you don't get your pick, so it's not like keeping Isaiah helps with the tank, with his awful defense. Do you think Isaiah was kind of just a pawn in this trade? Do you think they have any long-term plans for him? How did you feel about the team bringing back Isaiah Thomas last week? Um, I mean, I liked it. Uh, I think he was a pretty good kind of buy low, low 
low risk type of thing. Um, I mean, we're less than a year removed from him being an MVP candidate. Right. Um, so he's looked he's looked decent in his time. I mean, he's only playing his I think third game tonight, and he got ejected <laughs> from one of those games. Him and Rondo, that is that's classic, man. That's that didn't get as much pub as I feel like it should have. And it was because Rondo was poking at him about the whole video tribute thing, um, and that got him all fired up. But he's looked decent. Uh, I mean, it. I don't know that necessarily there's a lot of long-term plans there. He could be someone if the Lakers strike out in free agency. Maybe you sign him to a big one-year deal. Um, I, I think the big thing is that he, dating back to when he signed with the Celtics or was traded to the Celtics around that time, uh, he wanted to be a Laker. Um, he basically begged the Lakers to sign him. He was a Lakers fan growing up. Right. Um, so... He had a lot, a lot different attitude about being on the Lakers than he did about being on the Cavaliers, which uh, I guess you could only go up from how he was handling being on the Cavaliers. Um, so he's been he's been a positive influence so far, at least off the court. Offensively, um, his first game he had twenty and five. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's a lot of finger pointing. The Lakers gave up like. 140 that game he came off the bench and they had already given up like 30 points in five minutes or something like uh he hasn't been a problem there yet he probably will be but long term i mean maybe he comes back i don't really think there's a lot of long-term play for him unless he's just going to take a huge pay cut to be a laker um but i i didn't mind it i mean it it makes the the season interesting and it (laughs) Uh, we had a Jordan Clarkson size hole to fill and he, he could fill that. He's been fine coming off the bench and fine with that role. So, um, I've been fine with it. He's looked good. He, and maybe he kind of returns to form. It seems like a good situation for everyone because I mean, he really in that trade, he was nothing more than an expiring contract for the Lakers. And that's kind of how they viewed him. So anything they get more than that is probably a positive. Sure, and it looks like his situation's really going to be, you know, something to monitor this offseason. I'm sure he's not going to be the priority for them. You know, we'll talk about what their priorities are going to be and what the possibilities are for them this summer very shortly, but he's not even the the biggest question mark in terms of guys they're going to bring back. We talked earlier about Julius Randle and his situation, how it kind of felt like he wasn't being given the playing time, and this might be narrative, stop me if it is, that he wasn't being given the playing time because maybe the team wasn't committed long-term to him. I mean, is that kind of the sense you get? Do you get the sense he's not a part of their future plans? You would have thought maybe they'd try to trade him at the deadline if that was the case. What are your thoughts on Randall and the team moving forward? And also, what do you hope to see with these two? That No, you were right. That That's why the Lakers weren't really giving him playing time. He wasn't a part of the future. Um, and... To be honest, I think his play has changed that entirely. Um, well, that was what created in. so much confusion. I'm sorry to cut you off. Is that no. he looked good? And I mean, you mentioned earlier he kind of got off to a slow start, which he had an off season where he got completely shredded, got in shape. It looked like he was taking this really serious contract year. We've never seen anybody do that before, but it kind of looked like the minutes and the attention to playing him wasn't matching up to how well he was playing. 
No, yeah, I mean, that that's exactly what we all said, and that's exactly kind of what it was, is that he was playing well, um, but the team wasn't didn't really have him as a part of their future, um, so it didn't really matter. They were only just trying to to trade him, and so it, it was frustrating for him. It was a frustrating for the fans, but, I mean, to his credit, he, like I said, he basically just said kind of, you know, screw it, basically, and I'll just go play as hard as I can every night, and it ended up working for him, and I really think the the closer we got to the trade deadline, the more the narrative started to shift, and suddenly um, Ramona, Ramona was reporting that, you know, maybe he is going to be part of the future, and they're more reluctant to trade him now. Um, they don't, and that was kind of another byproduct of uh, them trading Clarkson, is that they don't have to trade Randall now to get to max free agents. Um, it was always going to be a situation of cap-wise. They were either going to have to trade Randall or Clarkson um, and stretch Luol Deng. And the way that they were talking, we always thought it was going to be Randall. Well, they ended, they ended up getting rid of Clarkson, which kind of signaled that maybe Julius is a part of the future now. Um, he is kind of... He did basically everything they asked of him this summer. He got in shape. Um, he tried to improve his three-point shooting, which that hasn't really taken yet. But his defense, like I said earlier, has been huge for the Lakers. Um, and I really think at, at this point that he probably is someone that they're going to keep around for the future. Um, the way the cap works out, they have his bird rights. So they can bring – I mean, theoretically, they can bring in um, – LeBron and Paul George and re-sign him, and um, I think that's closer to the route we're going at this point, and I, re- I, I think that he'll be a part of the future going forward, but um, that's only because, again, kind of how I said earlier, the, the discouraging part was the front office. It took Julius Randle playing the best basketball of his career for three months for the front office to say, well, maybe I guess we'll keep this guy around. Do you feel they made the right choice potentially committing to Randall over Clarkson? I do, uh, because as I mentioned earlier, I think Clarkson has a skill set that's a little bit easier to replicate or to find. You can find combo guards who can score kind of at will. Right. Maybe not at will. That's a that's probably a bad way to put it. But you can find combo guards who can score. Um, the, those are a little easier to find than guys like Randall who – can be the small ball five in a, and kind of whatever the Lakers version of a death lineup. He can be the center. He can be good defensively, and his playmaking ability as a big man uh, is something that there aren't many guys like that in the league. Um, so mainly on the fact that Clarkson is uh, easier to replace than Randall, I do think that they made the right choice. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I do think that Clarkson is easier to replace. Not sure he's necessarily a winning player. I was kind of amazed by the spin that was kind of put on him when he got traded to Cleveland, how he's better than Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Isaiah was coming off hip hip surgery. We didn't give him a fair chance in Cleveland. It's, It's whatever. That was clearly an addition by subtraction move for them just to get Isaiah out of the locker room. But uh, we don't need to talk about that. But we are talking about the Cavs, so we might as well keep this conversation going about... LeBron James, which I cannot buy into LeBron going to the Lakers. You know, you're telling me that that some of these young guys are really ready to win, and you get to watch them enough. I'm going to take your word for it. But as an outsider, I mean, just looking at LeBron, what he has left in his career, 
even if he can get Paul George or Boogie or another big guy to join him in, in Los Angeles, I just, I think the pressure of, of filling Kobe's shoes and trying to win in, in LA, not being better than the Warriors and the Rockets more than likely, I just don't see why LeBron would sign up for that. At the same time, I mean, I made the mistake of listening to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo's <laughs> podcast. I don't listen to Simmons at all anymore, but, uh, I, I learned that, I didn't know this, I learned that Maverick Carter took a meeting with Magic and Rob Palenka last summer, you put the pieces together with them trading, you know, D'Lo with, uh, with Mozgov to get rid of that contract, the Avery Brad. I'm sorry, Avery Bradley, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope signing, you know, giving that guy $18 million for one year, it's kind of like the end of the usual suspects when the detective figures out it's Kaiser Soze, the glass breaks, he's putting all the pieces together, is, like, the Lakers could be... At $34 million going into next season, definitely having the money to give LeBron all of it and somebody else, you know, two max contracts as we're talking about. What part of you feels like this could happen? I'm in the same boat as you that I I still don't consider it a very likely possibility. Um, For really all the reasons that you said, I mean, he's... Coming to the West, where it's going to be harder to get to the finals, coming into the same division as the Warriors, um, it doesn't make sense. But, I mean, again, for all the same reasons that you pointed out, um, Maverick Carter, I think it was Jeannie Buss that he had the lunch with during the offseason. Um, and Simmons, I, I listened to the same podcast. He kind of. Uh, exaggerated a bit. It wasn't days later that they traded D'Angelo. It was it was a month or two later. I don't think those two were necessarily directly related. But the fact they trade D'Angelo, they really kind of saved saved Contavious Caldwell Pope from embarrassment last summer by handing him eighteen million dollars. But again, that there were multiple teams who were willing to give him that kind of money on a right. short term deal. Right. Um, and then I mean they took Isaiah away from him in Cleveland and that dynamic clearly wasn't working but again he's a expiring contract and I think that's what they wanted so um each of these kind of caveats there's a yeah but I don't think I mean I don't know I I I mean I'm really split on it because there's a lot of things pointing to say yeah he, he could go to the Lakers but it just doesn't make sense unless he really just wants to retire in Los Angeles and go in, take the Kobe path and go into movies and kind of that part of Hollywood and whatnot. I don't know. Um, I really not really considered it much of a possibility. I'd love to be surprised about it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to leave the East where he has a pretty clear path to at least the conference finals every year. Um, to come to the West, where he's not even the best team in his division anymore. Yeah, I, I just it doesn't add up to me. Asking you how you feel about it, though, as a Lakers fan, I mean, look, it's, he's not going to come to the Knicks, especially with the Chris Stapps injury. But <laughs> even that, I mean, you know, you look at a team that's rebuilding and feasibly doing it right, doing it well. And with the Lakers, I mean, rebuilding was never a thing. With the Knicks, rebuilding's never been a thing. It's almost like a, a breath of fresh air to be like, wow, we're nailing our drafts, we're going to have cap flexibility. Uh, you know, I think the Lakers have a good coach. I like Luke Walton. Can't say the same for the Knicks, but this doesn't need to be about me. But <laughs> just looking at LeBron, it's kind of like, I mean, this dude's going to be in his 16th season next year. Are we going to throw this all away just to accommodate LeBron? And, like, 
there's a difference between signing LeBron and signing Paul George. Paul George is still young enough, still can attract guys, you know, beyond next year. I feel like getting LeBron kind of derails rebuilding. At the same time, it's ridiculous to be like, no, I don't want that. Don't put LeBron on my team. I don't want to potentially make it to the finals or have a great player on my team. Where do you stand with regards to that? Like, if LeBron could be had, I mean, are you signing up for that immediately? Is there any hesitation there? Oh, I'm 100% signing up for it. Um, if we can get him, I'm all for it. I, I mean, if LeBron was showing any signs of slowing down, I might be more hesitant to, to it. Sure. He still he still looks like a cyborg out there. Right. Like, that, that Timberwolves game last week, I think it was last week, uh, where he had the game winner, that was incredible. It, it, he doesn't look like a guy in his 16th season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he doesn't directly fit kind of the timeline the Lakers are on, which is another reason I'm kind of hesitant about it. But if he's to be had, if he wants to come to L.A., I'm 100% on board. Like, bring him on. Bring him and PG. Um, I don't know how good that really makes the Lakers in, in the West, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Like, I love watching LeBron. I would love to have him and PG on the Lakers. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a big thing. Like I said, I, it doesn't really fit the timeline that the Lakers are on, so I'm not really sure why he would come to L.A. Right. Realistically, what are you expecting this team to look like in a couple years? I mean, what part of you thinks Paul George is coming? Do you think there's another star that's joining him if he is coming? Or do you think this is going to continue to play out like an organic rebuild where they're just slowly putting it together? They've kind of, I want to almost say stumbled into the right situation um, because they have all these young guys that they can kind of organically rebuild with while also having cap flexibility. Um, As certain as I am that LeBron isn't coming, I'm the exact opposite about Paul George. I've always felt that he was going to be coming to the Lakers. Um, I don't really think... I mean, I know he's had a lot of kind of comments and quotes. He panders to the media really bad. Whatever they want him to say, he'll say it. Um, Which, I mean, he said... I'd love to go back home and play in Los Angeles, and then a week later we'll say, you know, I really love what Russ and I are doing in OKC, and it's just like you can only take him for his word so much, but I, I, I think we're probably the favorites to get PG, barring like a crazy finals run from the Thunder. Um, so, but I think this team's willing to sign PG and then kind of punt cap space for a year and go after kind of that loaded 2019 class. Um, So I I, I don't see them giving up on any of the guys that they have like they did D'Angelo. I think it's going to be kind of a a mixture of an organic rebuild where they have flexibility to to bring one of these superstars that are going to be out there, especially if they get a Paul George, they can go into these – free agency meetings with Paul George with a young competitive roster and cap space and say, here, you can be the guy to put us over the top. So um, I'm really, for the first time in, gosh, a long time, I'm really optimistic about the Lakers' future going forward. Now you're talking about Paul George thinking it's, rel- I don't want to say a lock, but thinking there's a good chance that it could happen, thinking he would be willing to come there and you know kind of wait a year for the other free agents to join him. Do you have like deeper intel on Paul George being, you know, from the Indiana area, having been around, you know, the Pacers? What What do you feel so confident about about this for? 
he he's always spoken about how much he loves Los Angeles um, and about how he considers it home. And I don't know, just the way maybe I was swayed too much about the whole at the trade deadline and around the draft last year where he said he the reports were that even if you trade me to a team, I'm just going to go to the Lakers anyway. Um, but I don't know, something about just the way he's talked in interviews about um, <clears throat> how he keeps calling L.A. home and stuff like that. How he, I mean, he had an interview, I can't remember where, but he, he flat out said, you know, I would have loved to have gone to Los Angeles to Los Angeles and, and played for the Lakers and played in, in my home and to have my family and friends there. Um, and when he said that, I was thinking, holy cow, like we really do have a shot, uh, in the summer. Um, I think this whole, I'm not, I love watching Russell Westbrook play. I'm not sure how much people love playing with him. And I think that can kind of wear on people, especially when it gets to playoff time and Russ, kind of turns into playoff rust where he's just going to take every big shot and whatnot. I think that's kind of what wore on KD a little bit, and I I think that kind of wears on other superstars on the team. So um, just kind of a mixture of everything. I, I've always, dating back to last year, I was saying I was more on the team of don't trade for Paul George because I really thought that he was going to be coming. Just the, the sense of all the reports we got where he said he was hell-bent on being a Laker and then some of the quotes he's had. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm sipping the Kool-Aid too much, but I'm, I'm a believer that he's going to be a Laker uh, this summer. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out with Paul George, with LeBron, with every other big free agent. I mean, I really do feel like the Lakers are finally in a place where they can attract these guys where, you know, the last few years of Stephen A. Smith screaming, Big name free agent is going to the Lakers. I, I'm telling you, I know it. It's it's going to happen. You know, this feels a little bit more legit than that. But either way, I do think the NBA is a little bit more interesting when the Lakers are good. It's interesting when good, you know, franchises with, you know, st- storied histories are good. And the Lakers are obviously one of them. But, uh, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. It's, it's fun to talk about the Lakers. It's fun to talk to you. We go back, you know, a few years now and, uh, I'm always rooting for your success. Before we hang up, you got anything you want to plug? Any shout-outs you want to give? Uh, I mean, I, I like you mentioned at the beginning, I, I write for Lakers Outsiders. Um, any Laker fans that, that might be listening can give us a follow there. And then me and some buddies have our uh, own podcast called the Coast to Coast Podcast um, where we talk really all kinds of sports. It's just something we uh, – we just kind of started up for fun. It's something we enjoy doing. We talk, we've talk. we talked NFL, baseball, basketball, just about everything possible. So uh, it's at C2CPod on Twitter if you want to give us a follow there. Definitely, guys. Make sure you're checking that out. Make sure you're following Jacob on Twitter, at Jacob Rude, spelled exactly how you would think it's spelled. That's at Jacob Rude. Jake. Thanks again so much. I don't know if I can call you Jake, but I did it twice on the podcast. But uh, it's it's fine. I, I I've been called Jake before, so no, it's fine. I appreciate you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. My pleasure, man. Be well and uh, good luck to your Lakers.